Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Atmosphere is Electric. Uh, did I go early then? No, no, no. Oh, just don't come from the screen. Uh, I'm, I'm the Clown Rich and on the other end is Pran. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. I'm a lot better now after hearing that as well, yeah. <laughs> good start. Years of, years of practice. Uh, absolutely none. Wasn't it, uh, wasn't it amazing to have football back this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, so the international breaks, it, it's... It, it's a decent watch, isn't it? But it's not the same as the Premier League. So yeah, really good to have it back and some really late drama as well, wasn't there, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But yeah, really exciting as well. It felt bonkers, didn't it? Or was it just me? I don't know, maybe because I've, I've been starved of it for a week, but it felt like there was an absolutely nuts action going on all over the place. Goals flying in, red cards, decisions, extra time, like so much to get through. It was a really fascinating weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot of fans uh, on match today, so they all leaving early, didn't you? <laughs> There's a lot of games where they've missed some some really good action. As I said, and I said we'll touch on a, a couple of the games late, won't we? But some late goals going in, which really changed the course of the games as well. And of course, there, there were some people's accumulators that got uh, affected somewhat dramatically uh, with those goals going in. With one one uh, famous case online where he cashed out for thirty quid, where he could have won thirty one grand because Spurs were losing in the ninety fifth minute or wherever it was. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the key here is to is the patience with the new way of football, right? Because again, you know, talking about that Spurs game, obviously it's now the latest ever comeback win in Premier League history. But really, it's a bit of a nonsense, isn't it? Because you know, last season that would have been four minutes if it added time, not sixteen minutes of added time or whatever it was in the end. Yeah, you can throw the, the the stats for, you know, latest finishes, latest goals, latest comebacks, whatever they are. You can throw them out the window now, can't you? It's, games didn't go on until 100 minutes, you know, two years ago, even a year ago. So, yeah, all those stats now are pretty much nonsense. And talking of match of the day, I, I, did actually, uh, I did actually watch it this week and, and, and there was a stat around goals scored after the 90th minute last season at the same point was four. I think it was something like 45 this season already after 90 minutes have been scored because of that extra time. So again, it's going to really, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, it's going to completely change the way football is played. And actually, you know, I think it's going to change the way that we view it. You know, like you say, you can't no longer leave on the 85th minute because you're actually, you're going to be missing nearly 20, 25 minutes of the game. Mm. And you mentioned accumulators as well. I mean, I had one that was running and I was waiting on a, on a late goal and it was it, I mean, it wasn't for a team in the Premier League but the game went on until I think it's like the 99th minute something like that which you know normally your accumulators get suspended after 90 minutes they don't allow you to cash out but they are so yeah that's one to look at as well if you're betting look at your, your cash outs Let's start there because actually last week uh, we put you on the spot we asked you for some predictions uh, and you got 9 out of 10 correct uh, in terms of the result but you also got a couple uh, spot on it was a phenomenal week of tipping uh, I'm hoping you made some money out of it I made some, a little bit of money out of the, the correct results but I didn't make as much as I probably should have if I had backed my own tips <laughs> less than that but 9 out of 10 is, is really impressive and, and to be honest with you, the, the one that didn't come through was uh, was obviously a bit of a surprise in Chelsea again looked, struggling to to, to get off the mark and, and score the goals that we, we all thought that they'd be able to do. So let's, let's let's jump straight in. And obviously, the game where I think you know we spoke about it last week. So, so we have to start at Old Trafford. And again, I, I sound like a broken record, but when I saw that Brighton team sheet, I was convinced Man United were going to win the game. Yeah, so I, I felt the complete opposite. To be honest, I mean, I, I'm now just coming round to the point of 
any team that Brighton are going to putting out are going to be decent because of the manager and the way that Man United have been playing, the feeling around the club. You know, they seem to be putting statements out every single week about something else that's gone wrong. I, I just looked at it and I thought, I, I agree with you. I, I thought the Brighton team looked pretty weak, but I just still thought that they win. You know, I, the way they play football, Manchester United don't seem to have a style of a style of play. They don't look to have any threat about them. You know, they're heavily reliant on Marcus Rashford, who seems to be terribly out of form at the minute. I think it all did, for me, just point to a, a Brighton win. Although I agree with you, when the team came out, it didn't look like a Brighton team of last year where you looked and went, oh, there's some serious talent there. I mean, surely they can't hold on to Deserby past this summer, right? Surely, you know, maybe he, he sticks out for the, the season, but there's no way in the world come the 1st of August, sort of, you know, 2024, that he's going to be the manager, right? Because, again, looking at that, you know, James Milner, Adam Lallana, Tarek Lamptey played left-back. You know, firstly, I didn't even know that he still played football. And secondly, never as a left-back. Like, how, how how does he keep doing this? You know, if they change their system slightly, obviously, to combat the Man United press, it was just beautiful to watch. And, and you would have seen the videos flying around on social media around how they're, they're basically toying with Man United at Old Trafford. I've generally felt embarrassed for Man United. I think it was a real lesson, not just how to play football, how to manage your team, but also how the club is run. You know, from top to bottom, that Brighton club is ran superbly. They've got real football people in in the club, which is just what Manchester United lack entirely, don't they? There's no there's no real leadership there from the management or from the board. The recruitment there is horrendous. I just think everything about United stinks and Brighton just showed them how to run a club. Going on to Deserby, I think you mentioned um, you know, they'll be lucky for him to be there next year. I can't see how that's not the case. I suppose it depends on the offers that he gets. You know, he may, he, I'm just making this up, but he may have had, an, you know, been told he's the next one in at Manchester City after Pep, so he might be there for another two years, as an example. But you know, we've spoken about managers. There might be a Manchester United job coming up. There might be a Chelsea job coming up soon. So I suppose it all depends on what offers on the table for him and when he decides to take the leap. And so, you know, we don't want to we don't want to sort of force. You know, we don't want to talk about sort of negativity all the time and, and, and sort of people being sacked, but. You, know, you could you could definitely see uh, Man United losing in the in the Champions League tonight against Bayern Munich. That's a tough game. You know, Bayern Munich, albeit aren't firing all cylinders yet in the Champions, uh, sorry, in the, in, the, in the Bundesliga, and they don't really look like they've worked out how to use Harry Kane yet. Uh, and that will take time, of course. And you know, but they, they, they've got a squad full of international quality. If they lose today, Burnley away uh, this weekend. Tough place to go, you know. Burnley are changing the way. If if they lose those two games, is is there a danger that they they pull the trigger and, and, and make a move? You know, last week I was adamant saying I think they've they've got all the eggs in the Ten Hag basket, and I still do believe that's the case. But there's definitely there's definitely a risk of him being fired. So the performances have stunk. The way that they've put, the way that they've played, there's been no attacking intent. There's no real style of play. Like all of the positives that we had about him saying about Ten Hag last year seem to have vanished within the space of a few weeks. You know, since the start of the season, like the the way that the club's being run, there's no style of play. Like, yeah, I think there's a real real possibility that you know they lose another couple of games. And you mentioned Burnley there. Burnley is second bottom, sitting on one point. But to me. It's a real danger that they could lose against Burnley. Burnley play good football. They've got pacey wingers. I could see Burnley, you know, getting a result against them, whether that's a draw or a win. Like, and that just tells you everything you need to know about Manchester United for me. Well, interestingly, Aaron Van Bissaka came on for a couple of minutes and he'd done his hamstring. He's out now. And having watched Burnley uh, quite closely against Knott's Forest 
uh, on Monday night. You're right. I can see their left winger giving giving Man United some trouble down that right hand side. He's got good delivery. Like you say, both wingers look tricky. Obviously, the centre forward is going to be missing some games because he got a red card. But but they they, they look like they're starting to to find the pieces. They looked a bit more defensively sort of stable because again, Notts Forest very good on the break. You know, good centre forward there. So 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 it wouldn't surprise me if that was a draw. Absolutely, and it wouldn't surprise me if Burnley won as well. It's, it's, with the play, you just mentioned a couple of the wingers. I thought the left winger. I'm going to let you try and pronounce his name, but I thought the left winger looked really, really good. You know, he he, he torn the the Forest fullback to absolute bits. He had to come off, didn't he? Um, so yeah, I mean, you get getting some of their attacking pacey players against United. They look all over the shop at the minute. So yeah, I could actually see Burnley winning there. And let's not forget that that the Notts Forest fullback was a World Cup winner, right? So he's no mug of a player. It's not like he's just, you know, an 18-year-old coming from the academy team. He's a World Cup winner and he absolutely, like you say, rightly taught him an absolute new one. He was phenomenal. Uh, Man United, you know, we talk about clubs in crisis. Man United now have to be seen as a club in crisis. You know, you you, you now got three key players sort of missing in terms of Aaron Wampas because they were injured. Obviously, Anthony's still going through what he's going through. Jaden Sancho's going through what he's going through. Obviously, the centre forward's still not fully fit. Rashford looks like his form has, has dipped and the fans are really getting on his case. I've seen lots of Man United fans since since then really highlighting Rashford as, the, as, as actually one of the key, the key problems. It looks to me like that's a club where the dressing room have now got no, no faith in the manager and it looks very similar to some of them teams from last season when you talk about like the Antonio Conte Tottenham problem where it, it, you know, the team just lost faith in the manner and vice versa. I don't see how he can turn this round now because... They've got 18 months, nearly two years of, of, of his message. If they haven't picked it up yet and are not bought into it by now, they're not going to change mid-season now. I suppose it depends on what message he's been trying to portray, doesn't it? Because it doesn't seem to me, when you look at some of the other managers, you mentioned Postacoglu, like even when uh, Antonio Conte came in at Spurs, there was a style of play. You knew that Conte was going to play a 3-5-2 and it's quite defensively sound. Postacoglu's come in, you know that he's going to be trying to get the ball down, pass through the lines. Pep Guardiola, you know what style of play he's going to implement. Same as when uh, Mikel Arteta went to Arsenal. You knew that he was a student of Pep, uh, Pep Guardiola, so you knew what style of play he was going to get. I generally couldn't tell you what style of play he's trying to implement there. I don't know whether they're trying to be a counter side, whether they're trying to press, whether they're trying to sit deep. Like I genuinely couldn't tell you. And for me, that's the biggest problem. Then you hear rumours about, um, there was rumours about Fernandez and others um, in the change room were fighting, which again, I, I thought we, we both said we didn't think Fernandez was the right pick to be captain. He's not uh, captain and leader material for me. And I think, again, it just it highlights that they haven't got any leaders in there. So normally you have a good manager and you have good leaders. They, they come together and they help um, shape your team and push them forward. I don't think they've got any of that, whether a good leader in players or the management. And I think it's starting to, to show. And yeah, I can see him being sacked soon. But on, on the flip side of that coin, you know, Brighton go from strength to strength. They look like a real handful. You know, you talk about strategy, both from top to bottom. But in terms of, I'm talking about on the pitch, you know, we've, we've done enough sort of waxing lyrical about the stuff they do outside of the pitch. You know, what he's got that team doing. You know, the third goal, I think it was something like 24 passes. You know, it was a, just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? They are playing. You know, you must be so ecstatic if you're a Brighton fan right now. Especially when you look where they've come from. You know, 10 years ago, they were nearly going out of business, weren't they? Like, so if you're a Brighton fan, you know, you must be pinching yourself watching that football, you know, absolutely tanking United, teaching them a lesson. Like that goal went around social media, didn't it? It was getting retweets and shares around because it was, like I said, it was just an unbelievable goal. If you're a purist of football, it's the exact goal you want to see. And to have it against Manchester United, I think it made it even sweeter, didn't it? You know, one of the biggest clubs in the world and they just tore them, tore them apart. 
um, yeah, they're going from strength to strength. And I, we've mentioned it. I think that the main worry is if they keep doing it, you know, selling their players that they may drop down the league. But it seems like the manager's holding that together. And for me, that's the worry is if they do lose to Zerbi, which I think if we're being honest, it's going to happen at some point. Where did they go from there? Let's move on to the, because for me, there's, there's, there's two places that I, I think are going to be looking for a manager very, very soon. The other place being Chelsea. You know, again, we talk about team sheets. Did you see the Chelsea team sheet that they put in for, for the game against Bournemouth the weekend? Yeah. I mean, that was arguably the weakest Chelsea squad, matchday squad, I've seen probably since the mid-80s. Mm. And considering that they've spent the highest amount in a transfer window for two windows running. Yeah, I agree. They're lacking all over the place, aren't they? And I feel a bit sorry for Pochettino because I don't know how much impact he's had on the, on the transfers. Whether he said, as an example, I want Nicholas Jackson. Like, I don't know whether he said that. You know, we we actually praised Nicholas Jackson, didn't we? You know, in pre-season and in the beginning of the, uh, beginning of the season as well. But it does look like a couple of the players they bought look look like duds to me as well. Like, I mean, I, I do like Jackson, but I don't know if he's. You know, people were saying he was the next Drogba. Yeah, absolutely isn't that. I don't think it helps that they haven't got players around him. You know, Mudrick got a lot of praise, actually, for his performance. I thought it was really weak. didn't think it was a good performance at all. But a lot of Chelsea fans seem encouraged by that, whether that's because he actually did control a ball rather than it go under his foot. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I just think when you look at that squad, the only person, who, again, who keeps standing out to me is Sterling. He's the only person who I look at and think, yeah, you've still got a bit about you. You look like you're able to beat a man at will. The rest of the players, I mean, even Enzo Fernandez, I don't know what people are waxing lyrical about him for. He doesn't look a, a top-level player to me. Yes, he, you know, he can see a pass, but the amount of times he was giving the ball away against Bournemouth, like Bournemouth to me, they should have won the game, Bournemouth. And there was a lot of chances at either end, but I thought Bournemouth were more clear-cut and I thought they actually had more of a style of play. And again, the manager's gone in there. It's taken him, what, six weeks to implement a new style of play on that squad, which, you know, we go back to Ten Hag, he hasn't done and Pochettino hasn't done either. And that, that, that's exactly the interesting point for me is that Pochettino looks disinterested. He looks, if I'm honest with you, he looks like he doesn't want to be a football manager anymore. He looks like he's been there years, doesn't he? And then all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's you know everything's falling out, of, uh, falling down around him. He's been there six weeks. Like, like he looks shot on the sidelines. There's no passion. So when he was Spurs manager, they'd score a goal or there'd be a tackle and he'd be flying off the bench. There's none of that. Like I say he looks completely shot to me. He's either looks like he's there for the cash, or he looks like he hasn't got a clue how to resolve what is happening at Chelsea. And, and it's really an interesting comparison because obviously the Spurs manager started pretty much at the same time as, as maybe actually a little bit afterwards. In, in hindsight, thinking about, I can't remember the timelines, but it's certainly there or thereabouts, close enough. You look at what he's done whilst losing arguably Tottenham's greatest ever player and the calmness that he's brought and the style of play, which we'll obviously come on to when we talk about the Spurs Chef Hugo. Potter's had the same amount of time and he's, it feels like Chelsea getting further away from their end result rather than closer. Hmm. I think I think the two differences between the two clubs there are, it does seem to me that Postacoglu has had a hand in the transfers. I think he was very big on signing James Madison. He said, this is the player that I want. They went out and got him. I don't. To me, it doesn't look like that Pochettino has had any hand in any of those players that they've signed. He's almost been given a squad of players and he's looking at some of them going, you're not for me. And when you then look at the backups to those players, he's, a lot of them have been sold. Again, he's probably looking at them going, you're not for me. I think if he was to pick an, an, you know, the amount of players out of the 11 that would be for him, he's probably looking at three or four players. 
which when you're trying to manage a team, you know, especially one with Chelsea's expectations, it's virtually impossible. So that's why I do feel sorry for him. But I think you've got to go in there with some personality, you know, and, and a bit of verve about you. Exactly what Postacoglu's done is changed the complete complexion of the club. Let's be honest about Spurs last season. You know, Merson, we joked about it saying they were in relegation form. They were for a period of time. The form was horrendous. And he's come in there with not really a huge turnaround of players. Like I said, he's lost his best player. And he's completely changed the feel and the perspective of that club. And I think you've got to, if, if you're coming in as a manager, you've got to be able to do that. And that's one thing I think Pochettino hasn't done. I think he's just gone in there and he's, there's no new brush that swept through the club. He's just carried on as they did last season. Yeah, I mean, he struggled at PSG, obviously. You know, he looks like he's lost his football identity. When he came to Spurs, you know, you knew, everybody knew Carl Walker, Danny Rose down, that you know, Eric Dyer would pull in to make it a back three in position, you know. It just looks, Chelsea just look rudderless. They don't, nobody knows or looks like they know what they're supposed to be doing. He doesn't look like he particularly cares what they're doing either. And I think if they, I, th- I think they're going to have to act really, really quickly because Chelsea cannot afford, cannot afford to miss European football next season based on the money they've spent, what they've done with their business model, with the, what they're doing on the pitch. You know, this was the season where you've only got one game a week, huge squad, the famous European football, which at the moment, I mean, I, I had them for the top four, remember? I mean, they're making me look like a right clown, even more so than me on the opening. Like They're a million miles away from being anywhere near, because they're not getting past Brighton, they're not getting past Newcastle, they're not getting past Spurs, they're not getting past Arsenal. Like, what's the best thing that can happen to them now in the season, really? It's a real tough one, isn't it? Because like you said, you meant you reeled off a few sides there. I mean, they've got Villa on Sunday. They're not, they're not better than Villa. And I'm looking at some of the teams above them. They're not better than Brentford. I mean, there's Newcastle who are in 12th. United, how poor United are. United are above them. Like, there's a lot of clubs that are better than them at the minute. And you mentioned that they're going to have to go again in the transfer window. It, it screams out to me that one, yes, they are going to have to go again. But two, is who's signing the players? Because we we, talk, we spoke last week about there was rumours of Evan Ferguson coming to Chelsea. One, why would he want to go there now? Two, why, why do they need Evan Ferguson? It's... Nicholas Jackson, we've said, is a, is a decent player, but you know, we don't think he's probably the player that we thought he was at the beginning of the season. But there's no supply to him whatsoever. He hasn't had a through ball to run on to. He's got no crosses to attack. He is linking the play really well, but there's nobody around him. We've spoken about Unkunku being injured. Yeah, it's a bit unlucky, but they don't have any backup to Unkunku. They've got four defensive midfielders. They've got two wingers. One in Sterling's playing really well, and they've got Mudrick. Again, there's no backup out wide. Like the fullbacks. There's backup there as fullbacks, but they're not particularly bombing on fullbacks who can get by your wingers. Like, there's a real lack of quality in the squad. So, I mean, some of the rumours that are going around, say, Evan Ferguson, who is signing the players? Oh, and, and Chelsea are going to lose their pull if they're not careful because, again, people want to play Champions League, European football, you know, that they want to be at, at the top of the table, challenging for, for trophies and playing in the big competitions. And if Chelsea don't do it again, you know, they... Everybody will forgive a team a season like Man United when they didn't qualify for the Champions League. They still managed to attract players, you know. But similarly for Man United next season, if they don't qualify for European football, which is a, a, a grave risk at the moment, who's going to go there? You know, what's the, unless of course both teams, you know, if the Zerbi comes into Chelsea or Man United, you know, they're going to be, have to be very, very clever with their next appointment because it could cost them five or five or ten years in the wilderness. Well, Manchester United have, have been down that situation before, haven't they? Their, their most recent appointments, you know, Solskjaer, Van Gaal didn't particularly work. Mourinho didn't really work. There's been a lot of managers appointed there that have all failed, which 
I then come back to with United and now Chelsea are following the same path. That's why I bring United up as well is it can't just be the management. You can't just have a manager that comes in and all of them are failing. Like I said, you've, uh, man, you have had Mourinho. Like there's some really top managers that have been at these clubs and now seem to be failing. It can't just be the manager. It's got to be the setup of the club. You know, the, the recruitment, especially the money those two clubs have, have spent to see the 11s that they've got on the field is, is, is shocking, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost negligence, isn't it? And, and the interesting thing for me is that Manchester United, for probably the last 70 years, certainly 60 years, have, have pride themselves on their, their academy, you know, and, and players coming through. And yes, of course, as long as Marcus Rashford's in the first team, they'll still be able to have that, you know, we've got an academy player, but I'm not seeing the players coming through. Like, There's no one on the edge of the, of the team coming through from the academy. You know, it just looks like it's been badly run for five or six years with no with no golden thread going through any of the teams. And it, it, that's a massive... It's going to take somebody, I think, a good couple of years to get that club turned around. Well, I think I think the one thing that's compounded their misery there on the academy front is when you look across the, the other side of Manchester, their academy's flying. They're pinching all the top talent from all over the world. Um, they're then going on and selling all these academy players. A lot of them aren't getting into the first team, but they're selling them for huge amounts of money, which are helping them churn their players, you know, the, the squad around. And then you look at what Manchester United are doing. Manchester United sold some of their best academy players for three or four million. Like James Trafford went, was it 15 million he went for? He's never played a game in the Premier League. Cole Palmer's never scored a goal in the Premier League and he's gone 45 million. Like Manchester, Manchester United are getting a couple of million here and there for their youngsters. So I think that just compounds the misery of Manchester United fans when you see across the city how well their club's being run, how successful it is. You know, and when you are Manchester United and you're used to that success, it must be really, really hard and really tough. But I think it, it comes back to the point I've made before is Manchester United used to bully the league financially and they can't do that anymore. They can't go... The only team I think they could possibly bully financially in, in the Premier League is Luton. I think all the other clubs could possibly stand up and, like Burnley, could stand up and go, no, we're not selling our player to you. We can afford to keep him. All that time and time again, there's some of them ways that if you want Moses Casado, if you want, you know, little old Brighton, well, we want 120 million. And and there was no budget, you know, West Ham, Declan Rice, you know, people weren't, but you know, some, of the, some of the numbers there was, you know, James Wall, perhaps even the teams that got relegated, you know, yeah, you could argue some of them went at a good price, but but for a relegated player, normally that that's kind of halves their value straight away. But everybody was just holding it ready to go. We don't need the money. It's, 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 it's not going to happen. So, you know, we, we, we touch on Man United, we touch on Chelsea, but that you've, you've just sort of talked about Man City, who I thought, you know, and as you predicted again, of course, give you the, the, the credit for that. But, you know, tough start, but 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 they're finding a way of grinding out result, results on it, which, which for me is really worrying because normally Man City get off to a slow start and it's in, you know, January, February, March, April, where, they, where they're, they're unplayable. The fact that they're not losing and dropping points now tells me this actually this league could be over quite early this year. I think it could be over this year unless one of the current top four can keep performing the way they are and keep grinding results. Like a bit like what Arsenal did last season and almost just keep keep track on with Man City. Um, one thing that I'm really impressed about with Man City at the minute is one, their defence looks really solid. You know, adding Gavardio, I don't think he's even played in a couple of games, but adding him into the mix means they've got the ability to, he loves a rotation of that defence anyway, but they've got the ability to rotate the whole back four now and actually put them in different positions. Gavardio can play left back, Ake can play left back. Um, but what's really impressed me the most is Alvarez coming into that side. It's given them a bit of a different dimension, whether it was intended or not, because obviously we've got to remember De Bruyne has been injured as well. Like possibly 
their best player has been injured for pretty much all, all season. But Alvarez coming into that team gives them a bit of a different mix. You know, he's a harder worker. He presses from the front. He's possibly opening up more space for Haaland than what De Bruyne would do. Because normally they're just saying, cut the supply off. So they're getting tight to De Bruyne. Alvarez is running in behind. He's dropping in deep. He's going out wide on the wings. So I think he's actually brought a really different dimension to Man City. And I think it's actually harder to defend against than having De Bruyne inside. Which seems an odd thing to say. But I think Alvarez just gives them a bit more mobility, which they seem to have lacked. And obviously Doku coming in as well gives them real mobility on the flanks. We, we, we were worried, weren't we, about their transfer activity? You know, you talk about Riyad Mahrez leaving, you know, some, some, some big names there. Obviously, Bernardo Silva didn't go in the end, Carl Walker didn't go in, but they, they were on the cusp of, of, of leaving the club. You know, obviously, uh, it's Cole Park, they, you know, they, they would, they would, at a point, they were looking like they were going to, they lost uh, Laporte, uh, you know, to, to Saudi. You know, it was like, oh my God, you know, Man City might actually be weaker, but but they've gone out. And like I said, you know, Kovacic coming, I know he's injured now, but Kovacic come just, just, he looks like he's been there for, for, for three, four, five years. Like, I, I, someone said this to me about like, when was the last time Man City paid good money for a player that didn't work I, I, off the top of my head I couldn't tell you who the last player they signed that didn't work and then but the, the thing about them is that then it's not like they they make an inquiry and people go oh it's Man City let's do them a favour you know they've got the same problem if you like in the sense that teams are going to bump the price up as Man United and Chelsea you know, and, and we have a, but I'm saying, like, it's not like it's little old Brentford coming in. Okay, here you go. Here's our player for four million quid. Like, you know, they're, they're paying good whack for these players, and they they just don't miss. You say that they're paying good whack, though. I mean, it's good whack in terms of you know millions of pounds, but it's not it's not on the same level as what Manchester United do. Manchester United identifies somebody. It's in the press for weeks, and all of a sudden, there's twenty million added onto the price tag. Like, how much was was Kovacic? Oh, about 25. Yeah. 25 million? Like, it's not, it's not good whack. Like, don't get me wrong, it is, but it's not, it's not like 40, 50, 60 million pounds. Like, it's a bit of a snip, really, isn't it? I mean, even um, Nunes, he was 50 million, wasn't he? But of, of his age, he's going to be there five or six seasons. Like, if that was Manchester United, they'd be paying 80, 90 million for him. They just, and that's just fact, they would. They've done it with all these other players. Look at Harry Maguire, all these other players where they've massively overpaid. Like, even the keeper, they've overpaid on the keeper. Like he's not worth that amount of money, is he? Whereas a guy could guarantee this now. If Man City went in for him, they're getting for half that price. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I should have, yeah, Anana for me is, you know, we, we, everybody's done that who was the best signing of the summer conversation. Very few people have done who's the worst. And right now, you know, and again, I actually played a little bit of goalkeeper at a level and his positioning is horrendous. It's, it's, nowhere near the standard of a under 18 academy goalkeeper let alone someone that went for 50 million quid and you know again you talk about recruitment out of the same league you know Spurs go and sign Fikari for 17, 18, 19 million he, who was actually supposed to be an Arna's replacement when Raya was going to Spurs and they dropped 50 million on an Arna just because he's good with his feet you know the Man United fans are all crying back out for David De Gea to come back because at least he could bloody save the ball I don't know why they let David Hare go. Obviously, it may have been due to wages. Obviously, he's getting on a little bit as well. But to replace him with Anana, it's not a like-for-like replacement. Yes, it seems like they tried to change the style of play with the goalkeeper, but their, their team isn't set up to do that. So, yeah, it's a, I think it's a horrendous signing. Whether it's the worst one of the, se- the season, I could probably have a look and find you somebody else. Who'd, probably seven of Chelsea's players and m- might be worse, but there's, he's definitely up there. Anana's worst signing of the season. So... Uh- at this stage, it's got to be Man City, isn't it? You know, again, very workmanlike performance. Just, you know, albeit 
like I said, man, uh, West Ham got off to a great, uh, great start, but but you always knew that Man City were going to come back, and the same as in the Champions League last night, you just knew they were going to come back and get the points, uh, and they look like a, a machine that they're not normally this good this early. So, you know, confidence still that Man City are going to have enough to to win the win the league comfortably. Yeah, I think so. So they're they're picking up early points, which they, like I said previously, they haven't done, and they normally get stronger as the season goes on. I think it is Man City to lose. Um, I just really do hope, just for the interest of the league, that you know the top current top four, which is um, City, Spurs, Liverpool, and Arsenal, that they just keep up pace with them. Because if we do end up with another five, ten games gone, and Man City are still flying, and the other ones drop off a bit, it's almost league over, isn't it? Which you know, it's, we're already getting to the point where Man City are dominating the Premier League and it's not, not becoming boring because they are interesting title races, but we want it to be blown open, don't we? We want other winners to win the league and make it more interesting. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that that is the case and we get an interesting title race. And one of the teams, top four Spurs, obviously there's two ways of looking at that result, isn't there? I think, and again, depending on what side of the coin you sit on or what side of the fence you sit on, probably is probably a better way of phrasing that. Depends on how you look at it. Obviously, the Spurs fans were going crazy because they latest Premier League comeback. The rest of the football was going. You probably should be able to beat Sheffield United at home in normal time. You know, you probably shouldn't need it to go that late in the game. Where do you sit on that that argument of you know that should be a game? The Spurs are probably you know they were doing you know doing the old cheering in front of the fans at the end of the game, which you know arguably is embarrassing. But but you know for you was that a good sign that Spurs could come back late in the game or actually? a bit worried because they should have gone and really been three or four and up against Sheffield United anyway. So without sitting on the fence, uh, it's a bit of both. Like, first of all, Spurs should be beating Sheffield United. If you've got anything about it, you want to, you know, win the league or challenge for the league or even finish in the top four, you should be beating Sheffield United at home. Um, but at the same time, it shows massive character to come back, which I can tell you this for a fact now, they wouldn't have done that last year. Possibly might have lost 2-0 in that situation. Um, so I think it shows massive character. Um, it shows what the manager's done there, changing the, the mentality round. So yeah, I'd probably say both the things for me, but I think overall, I think you've, if you're a Spurs fan, you've got to be happy to win. On the celebration front, I don't have any problem with celebrating like that at all. You've just come back in 95th minute and you've scored two goals to, to get a win of when you were losing got no problem with that celebrate your wins because you know it's not very often you come back with games like that so celebrate them it's a win to win as long as you move on to next week and you don't take it for granted i've got no problem with that celebration obviously the uh sheffield united manager came out after the game with a tirade of abuse or a rant wherever you want to word it obviously it's probably not the best time for a manager to have to go and deal with that after you've, you know, let's be honest, it must have been as much as the Tottenham side is elation, the, the Sheffield United side must have, that must have been a pretty dark place to be because even those two late goals where they did, and probably it's not the right time to talk it, but did he have any, did he have any justification for his points or do you think he was just sour, you know, they've just lost no. the latest ever come back in the Premier League and let you pipe down and get on with it? No, no, I, I agreed with him wholeheartedly. Um, on on the standard of officiating and the VAR standards, like you're looking other games in in the the Premier League, what happened in the Forest Burnley game? There were two handballs, one goal got given, one didn't. Like the standard of, of of officiating is the worst it's ever been in 20 years. It's horrendous, and they've got technology now to help them. So I can completely see where he com- where he's coming from. Obviously, from the time wasting perspective that he was talking about and how how late the game's going, that's just the direction that the game's gone. So he has to sort of get on with that. But at the same time, 
like the the level of officiating for me is is so so poor. So I can see now there's been quite a few managers coming out with complaints around the refing and the officiating. Like I know we've always had that, but it seems to be getting worse, and the the moans seem to be getting louder, and some of the language being used as well is getting worse. So I can completely understand where he's come from, and obviously just off the back of a, a defeat isn't sort of the right time for him to, to come out and do that, is it? Because it does look like sour grapes, but I can understand where he's coming from. Do you think there's an argument, say, that actually, as in most aspects of our lives, if you have technology that that means you don't have to focus on something as much as you used to have to, and I'm thinking like in a different sport, cricket, I grew up obviously way before a time where there was television replays in terms of to help the umpire and, and run outs is, is where I'm going with this, by the way. So, so back in the day, as the, as the square leg umpire, or actually not the square leg umpire, both umpires had to get themselves in a position to, to, to call a run out. And they would then have to make that decision there and then. Now, even when it's clearly out, they do the sign, send it up to the thing, just because that, and, and it's almost like they've stopped looking, if that makes sense. And so therefore, mm-hmm. actually, their standards have dropped because they're not paying attention. And, and, and is there a danger that within football, because they're, they're thinking, it's okay, if I make a rule break, there's somebody somewhere that might, might help me out, that they're, they're just not quite mm-hmm. as switched on as they used to be. Yeah, so I mean, you look at it from the tennis perspective as well. I, I I do think that is the case. You know, if you get somebody that's given you a bit of a lifeline and you can fall back on that, yeah, you probably don't look as hard because you know that you can just be bailed out by the VAR or, or whatever you want to call it in any of those sports. Same as rugby. Rugby um, obviously has like a VAR, doesn't it, as well? But I think the key thing to highlight with all those other sports is none of the players of those other sports moan about the the video technology. So in tennis, if it's called out, nobody goes that wasn't out. It's just accepted that it was out and that the technology's bang on. Same with with rugby. It's very rare that you see them moan again to the ref after the VR shows them, you know, whether the the the, uh, the try has been held up or whatever it is. And you mentioned cricket. If you if you're given out, the technology generally is ninety nine percent accurate and it's accepted that it's out. In football we're not, we're still questioning the decision of the VAR. So it's it's left down to an opinion. And I think as long as that's the case, I can't see the benefit of VAR and I can understand why people are getting frustrated. The referees shouldn't be leaning back on VAR because it then just opens up more controversy to me. Whereas I think the referees, if you took, took, a, took away VAR now, I can guarantee the standard would go up, like you said, but they'd be making such good decisions based on what they've seen. And I think if even if it was wrong, the players would accept it. I think if you ask that, I'd be really interested to hear a poll from all the players of yes or no, do you want VAR to stay? I think it'd be a very high majority of, for it to go. So just, and just to add on the VAR, sorry, I've been watching a lot of the AFL recently. VAR is not in the v, in the, the AFL. And trust me, it's a breath of fresh air. Watching some of the games, a goal's gone in rather than just turning around and looking for the for the, the linesman to see if it's offside or anything like that. It's amazing. Take us back to that. Yeah, it definitely has been a uh, an element of that passion has been lost because, you know, you don't know, you can't celebrate until you've waited five minutes for the VAR check. So it definitely does uh, remove some of that excitement in the game. And, and like you say, I think that there definitely needs to be some very quick improvements made to the refereeing and consistency, if nothing else. You know, again, I guess if all of the decisions are bad, but it's equally bad for everybody across the across the pitch, you know, across the, the game, then, then maybe we'll forgive it. But it seems like it's a little bit screw with. And so, you know, this week we, we, we move on to the fixtures. And again, really uh, only one place to start. You know, obviously both of them, you've mentioned both of them in terms of pushing for, hopefully pushing Man City towards the title. 
Arsenal host Spurs in what is historically an annual three points for Arsenal. Is there any chance that Spurs can go there and cause an upset? Absolutely, there's a chance they can. I think if, um, you know, we did a poll on Twitter or X, as it's now called, of uh, a combined 11, which, yeah, we got some uh, idiots say that was very original. But there's a real debate now around both teams have started the season so well of what that combined 11 would be. And my honest opinion would, it was, it's going to be 50, obviously can't be 50-50 because 11 players, but you get what I'm saying, 50-50 split of Arsenal and 11 players because both teams are so good. So, yeah, I can see Spurs definitely going there and getting a result because, you know, they're a very good side now. They're being well drilled by the manager. They've got a, a good style of play, which I think can um, can hurt Arsenal and vice versa. Arsenal's style of play can hurt Spurs as well. So I think it's going to be a great game and I can see a load of goals. Ironically, it is, and I was listening to Gary Neville's uh, podcast and he thought, so this is actually historically his favourite game to commentate on because he's always got something going on. It's, it's, you know, whether it's 4-0 or 5-4 or whatever it is, it's always been quite a Quite a high story and get scoring games. I completely agree that there'll be there'll be goals in this. How how do you see how do Spurs actually because they they seem to be so open now? How do you go to the Emirates and find that balance of we can't go gung ho because we've got Saka? Okay, Martinelli looks like he's now out with a hamstring injury, but you know whether it's Trossard, they're going to have whether Havertz, whoever they play in that space, there's going to be somebody there that's obviously going to be able to do a phenomenal job. You know, Pedro Porro and Adugi, although they're doing very well. They're, they're, they're relatively untested. You know, Spurs have had quite an easy start to the Premier League season. Is that, do you think, where the game could be won and lost? It could be, but for me, I think where Spurs have made this mistake before is a bit of like an inferiority complex. They've gone there and gone, oh, it's Arsenal. We need to we need to defend. And this, they haven't really thought about being on the front foot, whereas actually the Spurs performances that I remember, I remember the goal Harry Kane scored when he was out out wide and whipped it in. Spurs attack from the off. And I think that's, at the minute, that's Spurs' strength, isn't it? They're keeping the ball well. You know, they're attacking in numbers. And I think if you're going to go and beat teams, you've got to go there to win rather than trying to set up to be something that you're not. I mean, Spurs were a defensive side last year and they conceded a lot of goals. So they clearly haven't got the personnel to sort of do that. I know they've had a few new players since Conte was in charge. But for me, I personally would be looking to attack Arsenal. I think they have looked pretty shaky at times at the back you know I think the one player for them is Saliba he looks outstanding for me by the way I think he's I think he's the best centre-half in the league but if they can drag him wide and get people in behind him I think that's where they can win the game so for me use use the width that they've got of the two wingers um, get Madison dropping in the hole and, and attack Arsenal that for me is where they're going to win the game take it to them Yeah I have a feeling this is where Spurs would actually unleash Brennan Johnson mm. and you probably, why would you? First game of the season, Arsenal at home to Notts Forest. And uh, very early on, Brennan Johnson was put clean through and he left everybody for, in, in his wake because obviously he's rapid. He's one of the fastest, arguably the second fastest, I think, forward in, in the Premier League. And he was clean through and he blazed it over, uh, which would have obviously changed the dimensions of the game completely. But I, I have a feeling that Postacoglu will have that in the back of his head. Kulosevsky's actually, although he's not producing the results and the returns in terms of goals and assists, I know he scored at the weekend, but you know, look overall, uh, his, his actual stats and his output, he's run further than anybody else in the Premier League so far. He's created more dribbles into the box, etc. Et so I think mm-hmm. I think what we'll see from Spurs is that Solomon will get dropped out. Brennan Johnson will go in to try and create that distance, that, like you say, pull people out, because then all of a sudden you've got three very quick forwards with James Madison firing the balls. But this is, for me, where, where this game actually gets won and lost on Declan Rice for me. Because if Declan Rice, you know, he's playing that pivot on his own, 
and he's doing a phenomenal job of it, by the way. You know, people still don't think he's the world class player. I think he's I think he's absolutely unreal. But if Declan Rice can hold that shape as he has to, then I think Arsenal will go on to win it, maybe even comfortably two, three nil. But I think if if they can move Declan Rice and that like you say, that centre back pairing out and, and get Brennan Johnson and Kulisevsky and Sun in, mm. Spurs may be able to do something. I think somebody who's really underrated and for me is one of the signings of the season is Van der Ven, Spurs centre half. I think he's going to have a really big part to play in this game. There's obviously a lot of pace in that Arsenal front line and he is rapid as well as being strong. So if Saka does beat Adogi, who again is, is quick, I think he's going to give Saka a real good game out wide. You've got Van der Ven covering as well. So Arsenal only play with the one up top. So one of them is going to be spare trying to sweep round and help their full back. And on that side, I think Saka's the main threat for me. Keep him quiet and you win the game. If Van der Ven's covering round, using his pace and his strength to try and cover Adogi and, and get get close to Saka, that I can see him being a, a key player in this game. Okay, so now we come to the part of the show where you're going to tell us exactly what's going to happen in the future, Fran, before we know. Obviously, we've mentioned it about 7,352 times so far, how well you did last week, so no pressure. Okay, we're expecting a similar level of quality from you. So let's get firing away. So obviously we start uh, with uh, a London derby. Uh, Crystal Palace are at home against Fulham. So score draw, one all. Interesting. You've got, we now move to uh, Luton Town, desperate for their first win of the season. But again, you could argue this is a relegation, six point very early in the season. We've got Luton at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think that they're still going to be searching for a win. Luton nil, Wolves two. I think we can all probably guess where the next one's going. We've got Manchester City looking very scary this early in the season already against Nottingham Forest. Comfortable 3-0 win for Man City. Uh, this game is, is going to be an interesting stylistic approach. And obviously, Everton have had a bit of uh, good news this week with the potential takeover coming on board, but they, they travel to Brentford, which must be a tricky game. Brentford versus Everton, Fran, what do you reckon? Home win, Brentford 2, Everton 1 for me. Everton score a goal, though, eh? Full steps. Good news. Uh, obviously, this a night game. Not not easy. Burnley uh, hosting Man United. Man United in all kinds of trouble. Obviously, it's a tough week again in the office for the Man U uh, manager and fans. Uh, they travel to Burnley on the late kickoff on Saturday night. How, how do you see that one going? I've got this as a really tough game and an even tougher outcome for United. I've got Burnley 2, Man U 1. You'll be gone by the be gone by next week if this happens. Uh, okay, the, the, you know we spoke about it. Obviously, the, the biggest game of the weekend uh, is definitely down at the Emirates. Arsenal host Spurs. Uh, it's got to be an Arsenal win. But what are you saying? I'm going for an Arsenal win. Just a two-one win to Arsenal, but it's going to be a tough game. Really looking forward to seeing that game stylistically. Actually, it's going to be really interesting to see whether Spurs can actually uh, continue to play that style of when, when they're playing one of the big teams. So. Uh, Really looking forward to that game. Brighton, uh, they're at home to Bournemouth, uh, same time, two o'clock. Obviously, loads of Sunday games with, with there being European football. Uh, Brighton at home to Bournemouth. How do you see that one panning out? I'm sticking to the same scoreline as last week, 3-1 Brighton. 3-1 Brighton, good stuff. Now, this this is a really uh, difficult game to call. Uh, Chelsea, uh, who are all over the place in terms of team selection and whatever else going on against Aston Villa, who have... Obviously, for the first time, playing sort of European football midweek and, and sort of juggling squads. So, uh, interesting. How do you see that one going? Uh, I've gone for an away win here. I've gone for Chelsea 1, Villa 2. And then 
Liverpool uh, host West Ham United again. Another game that really could be very intriguing to see if, you know, again, do West Ham go ahead like they seem, Liverpool seems to be conceding goals early. West Ham seems better go ahead and then Liverpool come back in. But how do you see this one? Um, I've gone for a Liverpool two-one win, so another both teams to score, and I, th- I think it'll be a, like like it was last week with West Ham Man City a close game. Yeah, as I've said many times, I've been very impressed with West Ham so far this season. Uh, an interesting pick for the the, the, the four thirty kickoff for me: Sheffield versus Newcastle United. How do you see that one going? Pretty comfortable away win, so Sheffield nil, Newcastle two. Yeah, Newcastle were up against it in the San Siro midweek, weren't it? But actually held on to, you know, clean sheet, good point in the Champions League. So they'll be full of confidence off the back of that. And obviously Sheffield United need to come back from that. Obviously very late, dramatic defeat at Spurs last weekend. So uh, could be interesting. Cool. Well, as we know, Frank, we, we've got that high standard to, to, to set now. So no pressure. We'll, we'll, no doubt we'll be shouting. If you get it right again, by the way, we'll definitely be shouting about it. Uh, and if you don't, maybe we won't. Uh, well done. Okay, so we now have our £5 challenge, uh, or as I still like to call it, might as well give a fiver to a random person on the street. Uh, what have you gone for this week? So I've gone for a treble. They are all away wins. So mine's pretty straightforward. Wolves, Villa and Newcastle all to win. That is just shy of 11 to 1. So £5 on returns £59. Printing money. Good. Yeah. Oh, there we go. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, mine's not massively different, but, but slightly different. So I've gone for Wolves, uh, Brentford, uh, Arsenal, uh, did I say Liverpool? I said Liverpool, didn't I? Liverpool. Checking. <laughs> it's been a long morning already. Uh, Liverpool, which uh, isn't quite as good odds as your one, was it, unfortunately? No, yours is 8-1, to one, four forward for 8-1, to one, but you've got three homes in there, so you've got home advantage. Yeah, right, absolutely. Like you say, pr- printing money or you might as well just give it to a random person. Uh, awesome. Fran, as always, uh, loved it. Where can people find us? Like, where can people, because I've heard that, I've, I understand you've done a bit of work in the background that means that they can catch us in a new location. Yeah, so you can obviously catch us on Spotify, as it has always been the case, but we've just uh, managed to get our podcast uploaded to Apple Podcasts. So if that's where you choose to stream your podcast, mm-hmm. you can find us on there now. And obviously we're on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. We're on there. Um, lots of tweets flying around, lots of content. So yeah, reply to us, DM us, whatever you want to do. You can find us on there. Awesome, Fran. As always, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for your work. Really appreciate it. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Have a good one.